I want to once again welcome um, all of you who are guests to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And I want to welcome you all, um, especially uh, uh, a happy Mother's Day. And um, I pray that uh, this is a really good day uh, for those of you um, who are moms. But I, I don't want to um, move on without recognizing that this holiday um, can, can be hard for some, some people, uh, depending on the circumstances. Um, Mother's Day and, and holidays like this can bring up um, fresh um, uh, wounds and pain. Those maybe have, have lost moms over the last year or have lost children over the last year or you are um, in relational strife and brokenness with um, a, a mom in the picture um, or, or with your children if you are moms. Or maybe you're uh, a female out there and you desperately and desire to be uh, a mom so bad and the Lord has not brought that to you. And so I, I know that there's, there's really good things about this day, but on a day like this, there's also really, really hard things going on. So those of you who are moms, celebrate, have a good time with family, um, but just remember that there's, there's people, um, there's, there's, there's um, uh, ladies out there uh, struggling today too, so be mindful of that and be quick to offer a word of encouragement or prayer uh, for the women out there who maybe this day is a hard day for them. Um, we're going to go ahead and continue on in, in our series going through the book of Romans. We've been walking through this book uh, verse by verse over the last several months. And we find ourselves in chapter 8 of this book. And I'm going to read verses 18 through 30. The verses will be on the screens to, to the left and to the right there. Um, let me change the background there. There we go. Um, if you, uh, you want to follow along with us, there's, there's Bibles that we have under several of the chairs. If you look around, and if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love for you to take one of those home. That's our gift um, from us to you. So Romans 8, starting in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is, that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits eager, with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with it, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We... Um, now, as we dig into it, I pray that we let the Scripture speak for itself, that we would put ourselves under the authority of the Scriptures this morning. Um, 
that we would allow the Spirit to change us, change our hearts, change our minds. And I pray that we, as we walk through these verses, that we feel the fact that this is your word. It's perfect and it's sufficient. And it's, um, it's powerful to, 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 to teach us who you are and what you've done. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So in this passage we're going to look at today, we're going to see um, the bigness of God on full display. We're going to see God's sovereignty, his power on full display. And when humans kind of run into the sovereignty of God, run into God's power, um, we should feel smaller. We should feel when we compare ourselves to God and we think about who God is, we we should feel small. If you put me up next to a center on a basketball team, um, I will look small. If you put someone up next to me that has darker complexion skin than I do, I will look even paler. Okay, And so that's the thing. When we put ourselves up against God, we look small. We should feel small. But here's the deal. Most of us don't want to look small. Most, want, most of us don't want to look less powerful. Therefore, our tendency is to push back against um, God in these areas, to push back against his sovereignty, to push back against his control, because we don't like to give up control. I know I don't. I don't like to feel like I'm out of control of things that go on in my life. So as we walk through this passage today, my, my prayer is that we would allow the scriptures to speak for themselves, that we'd allow the scriptures to speak for themselves, that we wouldn't read anything into the scriptures that we, what we would prefer the scriptures to say. Or maybe it's something that we've, we've uh, heard previously about these particular verses. And my prayer is that we would allow the scriptures to speak for themselves, okay? So the context here that Paul is writing into, okay? This is Paul, one of the leaders of the early church, writing to the church in Rome. And he's talking about suffering, okay? This is the suffering of the church, the suffering of people, okay? So the context, really from all the way back in verse 17 that we looked at several weeks ago, through the verses we look at today, he's speaking about suffering. He's trying to help the Roman Christians live a life in a world that is filled with suffering and pain. And I know in our world, there is plenty of suffering and pain to go around. Just watch the news. Think about your own life. And I'm not talking about the big things. I'm talking about even the small pains and sufferings we all experience daily, or even maybe how we uh, protect ourselves against feeling pain and suffering. Pain and suffering control uh, much of who we are and how we act, okay? And I think we all need to admit that and just kind of know that that's the case. Uh, my wife and I were watching a movie that um, was, was nominated for Best Picture this past year called Manchester by the Sea, and this is a really a, a movie and a study of, of grief and pain and how humans attempt to medicate and work through and deal with their pain. In this movie, a guy named Lee, who's played by Casey Affleck, um, is a, uh, he, he's, he suffered a tragedy in his life. I, won't, I don't want to give too much away, but he suffered a tragedy in his life. And um, his, his, um, along with that tragedy, his brother passes away suddenly, and he's found out that his brother has, has willed to him that he would basically adopt his uh, nephew, the, the brother's son. And in this process of, of deciding whether he wants to adopt his nephew, it's, he, he's, he's thought, he, these, these, uh, these pictures and images and the, the pain of the suffering he's been through co- come up to the surface again. 
He's been dealing with, dealing with, with alcohol. His relationships are busted up. He has major, major anger issues, and he's fight, seen fighting throughout the movie. And then this opportunity comes to him, and he doesn't know what to do. He's afraid because he's, he's kind of learned how to cope and medicate this suffering, and he knows moving forward if he's going to be the father of his nephew now, um, it's a big deal. And there's this point in the movie when they're sitting at a table, him and his nephew Patrick, and they're having this really intense, it's kind of one of those climaxes of the movie, and the, brother, the, the, the nephew's kind of asking, like, why are, you, why are you having to struggle with this? Why, why can't you just do it? And he's speaking about his past pain, and he's talking about, I can't, uh, uh, Lee, um, the main character, says, I can't beat it. I can't beat it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And so it's just that they cry, and they hug, and it's just this moment where it just shows, like, suffering and pain are hard. They're hard to deal with. Oftentimes, as human beings, we don't know how to handle those things. We don't know what to do when those things happen. And this is, I think, why Paul in his wisdom and God in his wisdom in the scriptures has a passage like this in here. Because it shows us we have an opportunity, um, if we're followers of Jesus, if we believe and have faith and trust in who he is, then we have an opportunity for suffering to really um, help us and, and, and make us stronger and all those sorts of things. So from verses 18 in this, in this chapter, chapter 8, through the rest of the chapter, Paul gives us three foundational things. Three things that he wants the Christians there in Rome to remember, to be mindful of, and foundational things that they can turn to and know in how they deal with suffering. We looked at the first one two weeks ago, and uh, to summarize that, it was really the fact that as followers of Jesus, we have a hope in the future. Creation's groaning. We're groaning. This, if we have the Holy Spirit inside of us as Christians, it, it, he is groaning inside of us. We long and we wait for redemption to happen. We long, we long and wait for creation to be redeemed and ourselves to be redeemed and to, to, for the new heavens and new earth and this, this truth that God's going to make all things new and all pain and suffering go away. And we have a hope that that will happen. So that's a big major factor in this. So we can't forget that. So we have this hope in um, who God is and what he has done on our behalf. And the second and third truths, we're going to look at those today. The first of these two helps us when we are weak and we don't want to know what to do. Because a part of suffering makes us feel weak. We experience pain. If we didn't know we're weak, we, we know we're weak at that point when we experience this pain. And the second of the two we're going to look at today shows what God is doing and what, ha what he has done on our behalf. And I would argue that that's, out of the three things, arguably, this is the most important thing to remember because I think it encompasses the other two. Okay, so let's look at verse 26, and then we'll just go through these five or six verses today, and that's it. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what, the, what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Okay, Here's what this is saying here. Back in verse 16, Paul in the Scripture said that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, and he bears witness to this deep inner place that we are God's children. And we know that, and that's experiential. And then in verse 26, he's connecting it back to that by saying likewise. He's linking back to that verse. 
He says, likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. He's there to help us when we feel weak. An example here he gives is prayer. He says, we, we don't know what to pray for very often. We don't pray as we ought to. And when we don't know how to pray, when we don't know what to say, the Spirit gives us these words by groaning, these groanings deep within us. It says, groaning's too deep for words. Deep down inside of us, the Holy Spirit is always, is always talking to the Father in heaven on our behalf. Because if, you, if, you're, if you're like me, like, I don't know what to pray a lot of the time. When I feel weak, I don't know what to say. But we can trust, and, he, and this is what Paul's trying to get at here, we can trust the Spirit is always producing this groaning, even when we don't know it. He says, too deep for words. So we can't even, we, we, we can't hear it because it's too deep for words, and it's, and it's at a place that we oftentimes don't even know it. But Paul's saying it's happening. It's working. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, and God, Paul says here, who searches hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. So the Spirit is talking to God on our behalf. He's communicating with God on our behalf. And he most definitely helps us in prayer. But he also helps us in all other areas of our weakness. Okay, we, we need to be okay with admitting we're weak people. Because one of the main um, descriptors or names for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is, is helper. He's the helper. He helps us. And he helps us primarily in our weakness. And this is really, really good news. Those of you who feel weak, feel like you don't have the words to say oftentimes, or you're struggling with your prayer life, it's okay. The Spirit is working. The Spirit is moving. This is good news if we'll uh, be quick to admit the fact that we are weak and need help. Okay? Let's look at the second thing. This is what we're going to spend the rest of our time on. Verse 28. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Okay? This is one of the most popular verses in all of Scripture. Okay? Those of you who have spent any time in church or reading your Bible, um, you've probably seen or heard this verse, maybe on a t-shirt or a coffee mug. Like um, we, We've heard this verse. Most of us have before probably. But when a verse is popular, or we've heard it a lot, it's important to, to always go back and, and really make sure that we're interpreting this right. Like, what, what does this really mean when, when it's, this verse is thrown out like it is a lot? So let's, let's, let's walk through this briefly in talking about this. So verse 27, Paul, Paul says that we don't know how to pray as we ought. And there's many, many other things we don't know in this life. But he starts in verse 28 and he said, by saying, and we know. Okay, so he switches gears here to say, we know this. We can have confidence in this. Like the, what I was talking about before, yeah, you, you don't know this, so the Spirit's helping you. But this, we know. Okay, that's really important to see as we're moving forward. Okay, and so the main purpose and the main, the main statement, I think, in this verse is all things work together for good. But it's bookended by two other statements or clauses. And it's only a promise to a certain group of people, okay? There are two conditions. It's a conditional promise. The first one, preceding this statement, it says, those who love God, okay? Those who love God. And second are those who are called, okay? So the things work together for the good for those who love God and those who are called. Now, those who love God, it's very straightforward. It's, it's not perfectly, not a perfect love, 
but not just loving him, not just loving an idea of him or loving him for, for his gifts or the things he gives us, but you love him. He is your treasure. He is the most important thing in your life, okay? That's someone who loves God in that way. Second, those who are called. Okay, this is report, uh, referring to a point in time when a Christian is saved. So when you weren't saved, you weren't seeking for God, you were rebelling against him, and he came into your life and his power changed your heart, he changed your desires, and you believed and you professed faith. Okay, this is what that calling means. This is what Paul means by called, okay? So these are just two ways to describe what a Christian is, okay? So all things work together for the good of Christians is another way to say this passage, okay, by way to interpret this passage, okay? So let's go back to this statement, okay? All things work together for good. We shouldn't get overly creative and try to overthink this, okay? It says all things, all, everything, everything that happens on earth, everything works together for the good. It's the pleasurable and the painful, Everything works together for the good, okay? I think it, an important thing here is how we define good, okay? If, okay, if it works together for the good, Paul, what, what is that good, okay? If we love God, then we love him above all things, okay? We're not just looking for good things to enjoy that he gives us. We actually love him above all things, okay? So it's not just the good things that we happen to happen are good circumstances, okay? It's, it's deeper than that, okay? Loving God actually will change our definition of good. That's what the point of this passage is. Um, but I still, if I'm talking to the Apostle Paul here, I want to know, how do I know this, Paul? How do I know? Like, how do I really know that all things work together for the good? How do I trust the Bible when it makes this really crazy claim? that all things work together for the good. Especially when I'm suffering or I'm going through pain, convince me that this is for my good. Especially when it feels like everything is coming undone in my life. How is that for the good? He's going to help. He's going to answer that. Let's look at verse 29. For, so he's connecting it to the previous verse. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay? So this is the purpose, okay? Called according to the purpose. Work, things all work for good according to the purpose of those who he called. This is the purpose, okay? He's telling us here in these two verses. So we need to, we need to see ourselves caught up in this story, okay? He starts before the foundations of the world, and he goes all the way to the other end into eternity to show us the scope, the spectrum of God's love for us. And he uses five ideas or five ways that God loves us. He, and we're going to walk through those. Foreknew, predestined, called, justified, and glorified, okay? And if, the, and if these five things are the ultimate good, these are, this is the good that verse 28 speaks of that I think it will change the way we approach the pleasures that we have in life and the pain that this life brings. So let's look at this first word, foreknow or foreknew. Okay, question here is, is this foreknowing or foreseeing? Okay, and when the Bible uses this word know, it typically means knowing in an intimate, 
loving, relational way. It's not just knowing some facts about people. Let's look at some other scriptures. Genesis 4.1. Okay, so it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Okay, we know what kind of knew that was, okay? It's very straightforward, okay? Very intimate way. Let's look at Amos 3.2. This is God speaking through the prophet Amos. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. We know that God knows all families of the earth. He's God. He knows all the families of the earth. So there's this other meaning here. It's saying, you only have I known, his people. I've known you in an intimate way. I've known you in a relational way. Hey, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, this is Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. Did we do those things? And he declared, this is the important verse here, and then, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. So again, he's not saying he didn't know them, like know who they were, new facts about them. He's saying, I didn't have a relationship with you. I didn't know you intimately. And this is why he's saying these things. He's saying, depart from me because I didn't really know you. Last one here, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. This is a similar passage to the one we're reading today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Okay, this is the idea of to know beforehand in the scriptures. Okay, God doesn't see decisions that we would make beforehand and then act on those decisions. He sees people ahead of time and chooses to love and know them relationally. Okay, let's continue on here. This idea of uh, predestined, okay? Predestined for what? Okay, the scripture says to be conformed to his image. So foreknown leads to predestined according to to be conformed to his image. That's, that's the destined in that word, to be conformed to his image. Okay, called. Once, we talked about this briefly already, but it's a point in time when God changes a person from the inside out and they profess faith becoming Christians. So foreknowing or foreloving leads to predestined, leads to called, which leads to justified. This is a legal term uh, based off of Christ's righteousness. Okay, God can accept us. God forgives us our sin because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Not based on anything we've done, but it's Christ's righteousness that stands up for us in that courtroom. And God looks at us and sees the righteousness of Christ, and he says, not guilty. You're justified. He adopts us into his family as his children. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And then we have glorified. This is just the conforming to the image of Christ. This is the end. This is where all this is headed. Okay, it, it began at our, the foreknowing and the, the, the predestination, and this is where we are given new bodies, new identity. We dwell with God in the new heavens and the new earth for all of eternity, okay? This is glorification, okay? So look at the scope that Paul just painted here. From before the earth was formed and created, he loved you. All the way to all of eternity in the future, he loves you. That's a, that's a story, He's wanting us to see the story that you are caught up in as followers 
of Jesus. You even look at glorified. I mean, this is really interesting. I just noticed this this week, but glorified is in the past tense. His audience and us, glorified is in the future. But he's put it in the past tense by making a point of emphasis by saying, it is good as done. it's as good as done. Like all the other things that have happened, glorification, it's done. Those who he justified, he glorified. Okay? It's as good as done. So he's laying out this chain of events that he's worked in the lives of his people um, so that we can have further evidence that all things are according to his plan, the good and the bad. There are, they are not outside the scope of the plan he has for us. If you believe that all things work together for the good, then it follows that you must believe that he's sovereign over all things. Okay? We can't know that God works all things for the good if we don't believe that he is in control of everything that happens in our lives, down to even the very breaths that we take. Remember, it's all things work together for the good. Therefore, God must be in control of all things, okay? And it's interesting. Paul is not going on this big theological treatise where he's trying to unpack all these fancy words. That's not his point. They're coming right after verse 28. He's trying to give evidence. He's trying to give foundation. He's trying to give some anchors for for, for his people to know, this is how much I love you. This is how these big doctrinal, these, these truths, these, this, these, these huge ideas that we should, should learn and know because they affect our daily lives. They affect how we approach suffering. They affect whether we will see all things working together for our good or if bad happens that it must not have been God. God must not know what he's doing. God must not be in control. Paul's saying, yes, he's in control. He's still in control. Look how much control he has. Look how much he loves you. And so he, he wants to see that these ideas connect to our day in and day out. So if God has done all this for you, if he's done all this for you as a follower of Jesus, will he not work all things together for the good? If he, if he knew you, knew you personally before the foundation of the world, before he created anything and loved you. And then he set his sights upon you and predestined to conform you to his image. And then when you were uh, rebellious and didn't want anything to do with him, he sends Jesus to earth, his only son, to die, uh, uh, to live and die and be raised on the third day for you so that you would believe in him and that he's conforming you to his image, that he will bring you into heaven one day to live with him for all eternity? Like, if he does all that for you, doesn't it change the way we approach suffering? If we know that this is the God that is telling us all things work together for the good. I think it allows us to approach suffering in a very different way. Now, here's the deal. It won't be, it's not that it's not painful. It's not that it won't happen for sure. I mean, this is promising suffering here for Christians. Um, and it doesn't mean it won't be a struggle and you won't fight. There won't be thousands of tears shed in your lifetime as a result of pain and suffering. It's not what it's saying. But underneath all of that, the foundation when we're going through those things is this good news that God has done all these things on our behalf from eternity past to eternity into the future. And if he's done all those things, can he not work all things together for the good in our present as we are going through things? Um, 
It gives us something to wrap our faith around. It gives us something to wrap our hope around when nothing in this world is offering us any pain or any hope. He didn't just create this system, God did, and just kind of let it go, and then whatever happens, happens. God loves his people far too much to do that. This is Mother's Day. Let's talk for moms, for example. Situation, your little two- or three-year-old wanders off into the street, and you see down the street, you see a truck coming that's headed for your child. Is your response going to be, hey, little Johnny, come here. Come here. Get out of the street. No. You're going to go out into that street. You're going to grab that child by any part of its body you can, and you're going to jerk him or her out of that street. That's going to be your response as a mom. Your love is ferocious for your children. And if earthly, broken moms on earth feel that way towards their children, how do you think God feels about his children, the perfect father? Here's my question for everyone in the room, especially those of you who maybe come in here and you don't consider yourself followers of Jesus. Have you experienced that kind of love? Do you have something in your life that goes deep enough to know that you are loved and you are cared for and whatever pain or suffering is happening, there's a bigger plan behind it. Do you have anything in your life that you can go to in those moments? Um, I, would, I would challenge you with that question. What do you turn to when you feel pain and you feel suffering? You medicate that. Do you run from that? Do you numb that? Do you ignore that? Just hope it goes away. Maybe the fear of the anticipation of pain and suffering even causes us to change the way we act and the way we behave. He loves you. Didn't love an idea of you if you were a follower of Jesus. He loved you, period, before the foundation of the world. Now, I know there's a lot of questions this brings up, but I want to address, I think, one of the more popular maybe objections to this, especially for maybe some of those who don't consider yourself followers of Jesus, um, then all, all of this bad, lots of bad out there. How is this bad stuff happening if your God is so good? Okay, real quick. Um, we, there's some things we don't have airtight answers for. Okay, there's, We can't, in our humanity, where we're sitting in our place and time, not being God, we don't have answers for some things. We don't, period. So we have to ask, well, what do we, what do we know that's not true? Okay, um, we, know that, that we, we know that God, it's true that God loves us. He doesn't not love us. He loves us. We know that's true. And Paul laid it out here. He loves us. He showed us how much he loved us by sending Jesus. Okay, so we know there's a God out there who loves us. He's, he's demonstrated that. Second, he can't, he, he's not detached from what's going on in this, this earth. He's not, he's not, unaffected by this. He's not sitting back and just kind of letting things go. We know he's not. The scriptures don't teach that. We know that we have a God who's intimately involved in every detail that goes on on this earth. And then the third thing we do know is that he experienced horrible pain and suffering. He actually took the medicine. He came and died a horrible death, was tortured and suffered on our behalf. He knows pain. Jesus does. No, God who loves us, he's involved, and Jesus went through pain. We can bank on those three things. 
Now, other questions may be hard to, to, um, to reconcile. We don't know the answers to everything, okay? But I do think as a Christian, as someone of faith, if I was asked that question, those three things are the things that, and they are big enough for me. I'm not going to have answers to everything, but there's something about those three things that give me comfort if I dig down deep enough in times of pain and suffering. Not pie in the sky, I don't have pain, I don't shed tears. No, it's hard, it's awful. But deep, deep down, there's something there to turn to. So if you're not a follower of Jesus in here, I, would, I pray that you would consider this idea of pain and suffering. What do you do? What do you turn to? It, it, what's, the, what's the option if God is not involved in these ways? Because if God's not involved, then it becomes a really, really scary place that's just spinning and anything could happen anytime, okay? Now, let me give, I'm going to close with three quick application points for us, the ways I think this helps us in our day-to-day lives. One, um, I think it gives us an appropriate view of pain and suffering, okay? If we know that there's this cosmic plan that our lives are intertwined with, it allows us in those moments to step back a little bit and see the purpose of the internal God, that maybe there's purpose in our sorrow. Maybe there's a bigger purpose in our tears, Maybe there's purpose in our joy, that it's not to, 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 to hoard and to, to, to just let that terminate on us. That there's a purpose when we've been shown joy. There's a purpose when we've been shown blessing, to bless others and not to keep that to ourselves. So one, the first thing is it, it gives us an appropriate view of our pain and suffering. Number two, I think it gives us an unshakable confidence. Unshakable confidence. The, the very next verse, after 30, 31, we'll look at it in two weeks. Um, it says, basically... Um, Based off of all these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? What thing, what person, what circumstance, if God is for us, and he's demonstrated that, who can be against us? That's, that's a confident statement right there. Try your best, Satan. I have victory in Jesus. There's pain, yes, it's going to hurt. But ultimately, there's victory in Jesus, and there's this confidence behind that. Third, to kind of go along with confidence, we should be a humble people. Another point of this chain of events that we've seen, we had nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. Okay? If we had nothing to do with it, we can't say, oh, I, I, made this, I, made this, I made this really good decision, but these people over here didn't. I must be smarter than everyone else. Okay? I, I must have a greater intellect if I, can, if I can say that I have faith in Jesus and all these people over here. Or uh, when that preacher said that and I believed. Um, I just kind of got it and everyone else in the room didn't get it that day. There's, there's, there's room for boasting if we had something to do with these chain of events. If we have nothing to do with these chain of events, which I think Romans 29 and 30 are teaching, we have absolutely nothing to boast about. We should be the most humble, loving people in the whole world because of his grace and his mercy. Do our lives reflect that? In the midst of this unshakable, deep-down confidence, this anchor, do we have this posture of humility, of compassion? Because if we don't, why not? There's nothing in here that shows that we did something right or we did something great or we were really, really awesome people. If we were really, really awesome people, there was no need for Jesus to die. 
the gospel and the, these events, the story should make us the most humble, grateful, thankful, compassionate people the world has ever seen. And we should live our lives like that. So we approach suffering. We can approach suffering and pain differently. It gives us confidence. And we have this deep, deep humility that we can love each other when we wrong each other. We're not overly self-righteous. People who are our enemies, people who disagree with us, we can disagree, but we do it in love. We, We should be the most loving, compassionate people as a result of these things. I think that's why verse 29 and 30 follow verse 28, that all things work together for the good of those who love him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, um, once again, that when we come up here to preach, whoever's preaching doesn't have to come up with some new idea or come up with some creative way to say something or um, uh, just really, really good advice kind of comes out of my mind, that, but you've given us your word that's living and active and, and, and the Holy Spirit lives in it and through it and we are um, grateful for that. We are grateful that you've given us this and, and week after week we can come and um, teach it and sit under it and allow it to change us and because we believe it changes people. We love you, it's in your son's name we pray, amen. We're going to enter into a time of communion now. If you uh, are a guest with us, we um, do communion just about every Sunday of the year. Um, We think it's important and something that should be done regularly because it's something that, it's a visceral reminder of the gospel. It it, it engages our taste, engages our touch, engages our smell. Um, we We come forward to take it. Um, and so those things are important because those things will connect us in a deeper way to the good news of the gospel and what God has done um, for us. Okay? So here's what I want us to do as we move into this time. Um, after I break the bread here in a second, I want us to just take a few minutes and just to think about, think about that chain of events. If you're a follower of Jesus, in here, what, how God has loved you. He is for you. He's not against you. He loves you. He wants what's best for you, and he works all things together for the good. I just want you to, to meditate on that and, to, and, to, and ask the Spirit, again, who helps us in our weakness. If you have trouble believing that truth, ask the Spirit to help you believe that at a deeper level. Be humble. Say, I don't, I don't believe God. I don't believe this. God, help me believe this. Help me know and trust your love for me as a good father. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, Um, I would encourage you to ask that question of what do you do with pain and suffering? I think we're, as humans, we're all in this together. We all, we all suffer. We all experience pain in our life, big and small. What do you do when you suffer? And do you have someone that's powerful that you know who, um, even though if you don't understand it, who is in control? Um, and, and know that that chain of events brings sinners, um, back to him. His grace and his mercy is available for all, okay? okay? That our faith is um, inclusive in the sense that the call to believe goes out to all people. But it's exclusive in the sense that it requires faith and belief to follow Jesus. So the call, I'm, I'm putting the call out to, to, to all everyone here. That if, if, uh, if, there's, if God's moving in you, 
if you feel the, the Holy Spirit stirring in you and you don't know what to say, just take this time to, to, to tell him to reveal something to you. Um, speak to you. Make, things, make something clear. Make, your, make something on your mind clear to you. And if you believe that the grace of God is offered to you and you believe that Jesus died for your sins and you have faith and trust in that, then you can come forward and take communion, maybe for the first time. And if that is you, please talk to somebody. Please talk to somebody maybe you came with or a friend and just be open and honest with what God may be doing in your life. Now, if you're here and, and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're still thinking about this and you're still processing this and you're still wrestling with this, that's okay. Um, but this is a, a family um, thing we do. So um, this, is, this is reserved for followers of Jesus only, those who have faith and trust um, in his grace and his mercy. But if that's you, I, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to go out to lunch. I'd love to talk more. We want this to be a safe place where you can wrestle and disagree and have to work through a lot of past things. We're patient and God is patient. His love is patient for you. Um, so Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread broken for you represents my body broken for you. When you, when you come and take of it, remember my body that was broken for you. And he takes a cup. He says, this liquid in this cup represents my blood shed for you, covering past, present, and future sins for those who have faith and trust in him. And as you consume it and you taste it, remember that. Remember what I've done for you. And so I know we have a lot of guests today. The way we do it is we have two, have two stations in the back, two up front, and you come forward and you, uh, we'll, we'll have servers and we'll give you a tear off a piece of bread for you. You take the bread and just dip it in uh, uh, the juice and then you can eat it right there. And so that's kind of how we do it. Line up and then uh, kind of go back to your seat after that. But take a few minutes. You're gonna have a little bit of space here to think and reflect on uh, some of the things we saw in God's word this morning. So go ahead and do that.